0: I am the youth pastor here at Sierra Bible Church, and on behalf of the staff in the Church here Bible, we're so glad you're here to celebrate this time, this season with us, and uh, you know, this year I have really taken the time to think about Advent, which is um, an opportunity to think about, to, to stop, to meditate what it means for God to come as man, that uh, like he's a hope, he's a savior, redeemer of the world. And so if you came in this morning and you received a packet, you can just check that out. In that packet, there is uh, just a highlight of some of the ministries we have. We have over 20 different ministries that go on here, which are uh, led by our local congregation. And uh, if you are looking for ways to get connected, to learn about what what goes on throughout the week, throughout the year here, uh, just check those out. Those ministries are there to serve you, but also an opportunity for uh, a place for you to serve as well. In the packet, there is an envelope that is a giving envelope. If you feel led to give to Sarah Bob Church, to give a gift, um, you can fill that out, uh, put some money in there, and put an offering box by one of the back doors. Uh, If you are visiting for the first time, there is no obligation, Uh, but thank you for all of you who have given generosity. It's how I'm able to live here in Truckee. But also, I think it would be important to highlight that as money comes in, is about 30% of all money that does come in goes out to serve the community, to meet needs uh, locally, but also around the world, whether that's through uh, supporting missionaries. Uh, we're looking to build an orphanage in Mexico for babies that have been orphaned uh, or locally taking care of homeless people who are in need. Um, and so if you would stand with me at this time as we read scripture, and the reason why we like to stand is just uh, to honor God's word and his reading, and so we're going to read the original Christmas story uh, from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them in glory and shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel of multitude with heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom he is well pleased. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas.
1: If I haven't met you before, my name is Jesse, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I want to, before we kind of kick off, I just want to say a couple thank yous. Just so you're kind of aware. Some of, you, some of you are aware and some of you may not be aware. Uh, it, it is not very typical um, for Christmas Eve to land on a Sunday. And whenever it does and whenever Christmas lands on a Sunday, our staff and our team have to start to strategize on what would be the best thing to do. And um, I'm not exactly sure what the thinking was. Well, I do. It was my fault. Um, but we did. We've, this is our fourth service uh, at Sierra Bible Church this Sunday. And it takes an incredible amount of energy. Uh, to do these services and I just want to say thank you to my staff and uh, thank you to all the volunteers and if you guys could just give them a round of applause for for, uh, serving you and um, everyone, uh, several people have teased me on the way out this evening after the first gathering, Um, enjoy your rest tomorrow, I have four children, there is no rest. Until heaven comes. Um, the, this evening, I, I wanted to continue within the theme, uh, the structure, in what we've been in uh, as a church. Uh, we've been in what we call, uh, as a, in church tradition, Advent. And Advent is uh, a way to celebrate and anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. Advent has two purposes. The first purpose uh, is to share within the history uh, of the New Testament and those even in the Old Testament who longed for, who yearned for the the Messiah to come. And so in one way we're sharing within the history uh, that our forefathers shared in. We're sharing in the history of the shepherds in the field who are waiting for the Messiah. We're sharing in the history of the Magi who came from the east. But we're also um, anticipating another return. The good news is, is that Jesus came for the first time to give us salvation and a second time he will come and we're guaranteed this and he will come for his people to redeem them and bring them home. And so we've been taking those four weeks to just celebrate uh, the goodness of Jesus. And, and we've used the the uh, terms that you see behind me, hope, love, peace, and joy. We've been kind of focusing in on those things in, in regards to the coming king that is Jesus. I know many of you are um, anticipating tomorrow, several of the children are. We had far more children in the first service than we do now because uh, we want to get the kids to bed as early as possible so that they can get up as early as possible. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we had a little um, get-together with my family uh, this afternoon, little Christmas Eve get-together, and my wife has this little sign that says, For unto us uh, the king has been born, something along those lines. And my grandfather, uh, who loves Jesus, is sitting there having a conversation with my, with my children, and, and he asks all of my children, he says, Who is this newborn king? That is behind you. I see that it's there. And my oldest says, oh, that's me. <laughs> and, uh, and then he said, no, 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 see that behind you. And then my son, luckily enough, he goes, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that's Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're here to celebrate that coming king that is Jesus and to celebrate what he gives us in regards to hope, peace, joy, and love, the perfect gift in Christ given to us. Now, Christmas starts in Genesis three. In a way, it starts in Genesis 3, which may seem as a surprise to you, uh, with the fall of mankind. It starts with a tree. Mankind is created in the image of God. Adam and Eve are in perfection. They are in perfect communion with God. They are in perfect communion with one another. And they are in perfect communion with nature itself. They are in the most beautiful, luscious environment that you can imagine. Life is good. Life is perfect, except for this one tree that sits in the garden that God says, don't touch that tree. It's the antithesis of a Christmas tree, right? Don't get near that tree. Uh, We still have a one-year-old in my home, and so we have a Christmas tree, and it's decorated from three feet up, the first bottom three feet, not decorated because the baby will eat the ornaments, right? And so, in essence, our our one-year-old, we tell him, it's like that tree in the garden of of Eden. Don't touch the tree, David. Don't touch it, because if you eat an ornament, it'll be bad news. And, and he has actually eaten Legos, and so we're this is actually a real concern. Don't ask me how we know he's eaten Legos, but I'm sure you can deduce from the information how that's occurred. <clears throat> we're not that bad of parents. Don't ooh and ah that bad. Come on. And, um, and there's these consequences of this. The consequences that, that, that come... From what Adam and Eve have done. In order to understand what the Christmas tree means today and what it means for your family, we have to understand what occurred all the way back in history. That what Jesus, how Jesus really brings about love, peace, and joy. What happened in the garden in Genesis 3 was the crushing of peace and the crushing of love and the crushing of joy. Those things, in a way, they, they were robbed from mankind and they've been robbed from us. I, I, I would say to you the, uh, this evening that, that my guess is if you look at those terms b- behind me, that hope and that peace and that joy and that love, is there anybody in the room tonight that would say, I, I don't want any more of that? Is there anybody here who would say, you know what, I don't need hope. Uh, I couldn't use more peace. Don't give me more peace. That's, that's kind of wasted on a person like me. Is there anyone here tonight that would say, I don't want more love? I don't think that there, are any, there is anybody here. In fact, I think it's think one thing that, that if you're a non-believer here tonight, someone who maybe is a skeptic of Christianity you're, you're skeptical that Jesus is real and, and that God really came from heaven as Emmanuel, that God with us isn't something that really exists. If, if maybe you're somebody who is of another faith, one thing that we could agree on is that the world is not perfect. The world isn't what it should be. And our culture and our society uh, we have come up with all kinds of ways, all kinds of ideologies and philosophies in and, and regards to how we are to fix and, and mend back mankind. For some, they believe that if we just get the, the right guy in the political office, then our world would be better. If, if we just maybe uh, help the homeless and give away money, if maybe we're more involved in social justice, if we would just rally for this one particular cause, or, or maybe if we would, would handle uh, uh, worldwide uh, and give our money away to some of the worldwide issues at hand, we would maybe have some more peace amongst humanity. Uh, and w- I'm here to tell you this evening that, that though we may agree on that, where some of us might disagree, and it's my hope to convince you, that the only solution is found in Jesus Christ. So back to the consequences here. I have before you four terms that you may or may not be familiar with. He is excited about Christmas, by the way. I have no gifts here, buddy. (laughs) Um, Spiritual alienation, psychological alienation, social alienation, and physical alienation. What am I saying? Well, in the garden, when mankind sinned in Genesis 3, if you remember, the first thing that happened was Adam and Eve hid from God. They literally stepped aside. They realized that they had sinned, that they had done something wrong, and they hid from him. This is spiritual alienation. It's the fracture that happens between us and the one who made us. Uh, this This is actually to be out of place with God. Because of this alienation, we feel guilt. We feel shame, condemnation, a lack of spiritual purpose, and even a confusion in regards to morality. What is right and what is wrong? How do I live my life and what is the right choice? What does God want from me? What is the purpose of life? This is disintegrated in Genesis 3. And number two, the alienation of self. This is the psychological alienation. Not only did Adam and Eve hide from God, but then Adam hid himself. From himself, he, he noticed that he was no longer uh, clothed, and so he, he hid from himself. The, 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 the reality of this now is that not only are we out of place with God, we're out of place with ourselves. Because of this, as a society and as a people, we struggle with depression, anxiety, anger, and oftentimes we don't totally know who we are. I would argue that maybe not all of you in the room this evening would struggle with this, but several, several of our younger generation because of social media struggles with identity. Who am I? Or a false portrayal of who they are. And maybe even being attached to, to how many likes or double taps on your Instagram that you get or how many hashtags you get or how many people gave you a thumbs up on your, on your video or your photo. Attaching your identity to how many people are paying attention to a portrayal of yourself and not who you really are. Again, this happens in the garden where they, they hid themselves from God. And then thirdly, social alienation. They hid from each other. Ab and Eve noticed that, that for the first time, oh my gosh, you're naked. Oh my gosh, I'm naked. And they, they needed to clothe themselves. And so they hid from one another. This is social alienation. Literally to be out of place with each other. With the alienation from God, we're out of place with God. With the alienation from self, we're out of place with self. And with the alienation of each other, we're alienated from one another. Because of this, society is a little broken. We have war, we have crime, we have divorce, we have poverty, we have oppression, and we have injustice. All because of one act within the garden, because of a tree. And then lastly, we're alienated from nature. We're alienated from the physical world. This is to be literally out of place with creation. Because of this, we have hunger, we have famine, we have natural disasters, disease, and all kinds of other physical ailments. I like the way George Whitfield says it. Great Puritan, he says, you know why the wild animals shriek at you and growl at you and hiss at you when you come near and run away from them? Because they know you had a quarrel with their master." You see, in order to get to the good news, we have to understand some of that, which is maybe the bad, no, the bad news, that you and I are not completely at peace with God. We're not at complete joy. We, we, we don't have the, the kind of happiness that we all probably would want. Those things are, are, are even for those of us who are saved, they're, they're just a little bit out of grasp, even though we have them. We don't have them in its complete form. And yet we're told that Jesus came, Jesus, the Christ the Messiah, Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel literally means God with us. See, what Jesus did is he realized and recognized this fracture that we were robbed of our hope and we've been robbed of our joy and we've been robbed of our love and, and, and now we don't have peace like we should and so, so God says the solution to this is there's only one. There's only one solution and that solution is for God to come down from heaven to earth. Now think if you were God for a moment. If you were God, do you think that you would come to earth as a baby in a feed trough? Now, I'm not God, and we all praise the Lord for that. Amen. Trust me, you want to say amen to that. I would rule differently. Right? If I was God, I think I think in my mind this probably sounds, you know, really cheesy. I would have come with some six pack abs and some big pecs and couple biceps, kind of like the rock Dwayne Johnson kind of thing, you know? That's maybe how I would have come to earth. But no, see, because if God would have come to earth with a crown on his head and a scepter in his hand, he would, in a way, ha- have been unapproachable. But the beautiful thing about him coming as a baby is he's, he's showing humankind anybody can come to Jesus. There's a humility to him. Now, I know there are some men who are intimidated by babies. There's some, but for the most part, When you look at a baby, all you can think is there is hope in that child. There's beauty in that child. In a way, there's almost perfect love in that child. And anybody can come to a child. It's Jesus' way of saying, I am completely accessible to all of mankind. You know, the definition of peace, one of the definitions I have of peace here, which which is partly of what Jesus brings, is this. It's absence from war. Now, there's other parts to this definition, but the one that, that, that's, that we need to focus on is that, the absence of war. What, what in the world does it mean to be absent from war? Because if you look at society, we could argue that there's still war. There's still famine. And so when the angels come and sing in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. How is it that we are free from war? If we have war still, what is it that Jesus is saying? And how can you have peace this evening? See, the reality of what peace is, the reality of what Jesus is saying in regards to peace, is that the peace that you have now is the only peace that matters, and that is the reality that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're at peace with God. You're no longer at war with God. I like the way Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says it. And through him, Jesus, he reconciled all things unto himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, this is the key part here, and you who were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That word hostile in mind, that's, that's language for you were at war with God. You were at enmity with God. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above above reproach before him. This is the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas is at one time, you were actually against God. At one time, you were at war with God. Now, I had a portion of my life, unfortunately, where I lived it according to my own rules. I did what I wanted, when I wanted. Drank what I wanted, when I wanted to drink what I want. Did whatever I pleased, whatever my flesh desired. Samuel actually says it this way in the Old Testament. He says, whatever was in my heart because I had the money, I just gave it to myself. Whether it was women, whether it was gold, whether it was jewelry, he, did, he was just a man of consumption. And then he writes Ecclesiastes and he says, it's all vain, it's all vanity. It brought no hope is what he's saying. It brought no peace. It brought no love. It did nothing for me. I remember those years. And I can tell you it literally felt as I look back, it literally felt as if God was just, just pushing against me, and I was trying to push back. Some of you know that experience where, where God's called you to do one thing, but you still want to do your own thing, and so you're kind of at war with God, and that's not, not a war you could win. In fact, if you remember, when Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, when, when Jesus appears to the great apostle Paul, before he comes to Jesus, Jesus says this to him. He says, why do you kick against the goads, Paul? Why are you fighting me? Why are you persecuting me? You see, the peace that we need, the one peace we need, isn't necessarily world peace, though that will come. That's coming. When Jesus comes again, we'll have world peace. But the peace that you need right now is the only kind of peace that is received from Jesus that you're not fighting against God anymore. Jesus is the peace offering. Some of you know the great hymn by Charles Wesley. Hark the heart the herald angels sing. The very first line in that says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's peace. One pastor says, the most basic need we have. That's a profound statement. The most basic need we have is peace with God. This is foundational to all our other pursuits of peace. If we don't go here first, all other experiences of peace will be superficial and temporary. A key to peace is keeping together what the angels kept together. Glory to God, worshiping God, and peace to man. A heart bent on showing the glory of God will know the peace of God. If you're here this morning and you want to know the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts Jesus has given you, it's peace. But in addition to that, oh, there's the rest of the line there. In addition to that, love. Not only did Jesus come to give you peace, he came to give you love. I believe that in addition to peace being one of man's greatest needs, one of our other greatest needs is to be loved perfectly and accepted perfectly in spite of our mistakes and our contradictions. You see, the definition I have before you says that love is selfless, selfless enduring loyalty, care, concern, and compassion for someone rooted in an unswerving purpose of good despite disappointment and rejection. Just so you know, in that definition, the gospel lies within that definition. The good news of Christmas lies within that definition. And the reason is because Jesus loves humanity. When it it says here that peace among those with whom he is well pleased, that pleasing is for those who believe in faith on Jesus, when you have that faith in Christ, he gives you this kind of love, and it's a love that loves you in spite of you. In spite of you. Right, You can be completely honest with Jesus, but if you're completely honest with everybody all of the time, no one will like you. Right, And you giggle because you know it's true. Every single one of us in this room have thought something not so nice about somebody else, even if it was while you were Christmas shopping. Do you have that done, by the way? I'm looking at all the guys in the room. 7-Eleven's open, 24 hours, by the way. They've increased their stock of Christmas gifts. I saw they have those fidget spinners, 10 for 10. It's interesting to think that, that when we think of this kind of love, Jesus gives us that perfect love. In fact, John 17, uh, Jesus says it this way. He says, Father, I desire. He has this affection, this desire. He says that, that those whom you've given me, that they'll be with me where I am. He says, I want them to be with me, God that they'd see my glory because you loved me, he says. Jesus says, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Then he goes on, verse 25. "O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love, listen carefully, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, my desire, Father, is that, that they'd know that you love me. So think of a perfect love. Right? There's a kind of love that I have for my children that I don't have for anybody else. Right? When I look at my children, I see hope, and, and I care for them. I'll defend them, and I'll perfect them. But, but if I walked up to some, one of you in the room and I said to you, I love you like I love my kids, you might go, that's a little weird. You might look at me. If you said that to me, just say, I love you like one of your, my children, depending on the kind of friendship we have. Like if you're a stranger, you've never been here, this is your first time visiting, you're like, I love you like I love my kids. Like, you're a lie. You're a liar. You know you don't. Because there's this unique kind of love that we have for our children. And what Jesus says is, you have a unique love for me. And I want my people to know that you have that same unique love for them. Cuz what happens when you get fed, when you get saved is that you become what the Bible calls born again. And when you become born again, the Bible actually uses the language of sperma, that God's nature, his goodness, and his perfection get implanted in you, and you become a child of God. So the same love that God has for Jesus is the same love that he has for you. It's a perfect love. It's an absolute love. It's a love for all of eternity, and this should be celebrated. When we have, I think I have a, this quote here that says this, when we were born again, This love became our love, the love that God has for Jesus. There is in the born-again person, listen carefully, a deep impulse to die to self that others might live. It's this practicing of love. The presence of Christ in the born-again person is the presence of a servant's heart, a sacrificial spirit, a readiness to go down as Jesus did in the manger, that others may go up. Love does not want to prosper at the expense of others, Love wants others to prosper, even if it costs us our life, that's okay. Because Jesus will take care of us. You see, Christmas is the message of, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about you. It's about loving Jesus. In fact, these magi came from the east, and they, they came and they bowed down, and they worshiped God, they adored God. You know, one of the interesting things when we think about overcoming sin and overcoming our selfishness and our greed and and our lack of joy and our lack of hope. Many religions will teach you, just try hard enough, man. Many religions will tell you, if you pray and you meditate long enough, you'll figure it out. You'll get that peace until you go shopping at the mall. And then it's gone in a moment. Many will tell you to take action. Some churches will even teach, you want more peace? Just send this particular check in. Send in a tithe and we'll send you a handkerchief and you'll get peace. All of that's nonsense. You see, if you could will yourself to goodness and perfection, the will would get the credit. What the Bible teaches rather instead is for change to occur, spend time with Jesus and worship him and love him. That's grace. You ever notice one of the the funnest parts about giving gifts at Christmas time? Like the funnest part for me is to give someone a gift that wasn't expecting a gift. I gave a couple friends this Christmas as a, as a gift from the church, uh, some gift cards from Amazon, right? That's one of my favorite gifts to give. It's one of my favorite gifts to get. Because with Amazon, you can get anything in the world, and you can get it in two days. <laughs> I think it's, it's magical. And so, so, but the reality is that's fun. If you're doing it, oh, they weren't expecting it, giving an unexpected gift for the giver is a tremendous experience. I almost kind of see that with Jesus. They're not totally expecting this. I prophesied it. They don't know. There's been all these years of silence. Poof, here's the gift of my son. (gasps) And they come and they show up and they worship him. And here we are, just as the the funny little video said, this baby's going to change the world. There is no arguing that. We're here 2,000 plus years later for the name of Jesus Christ. He has indeed changed the world. But this idea of working things through, we're so messed up in it that if you're the receiver of an unexpected gift, like if I walked up to you tonight and you weren't expecting a gift from me and I came up to you and I said, look, I got you a gift, there's a good chance your first thought would be, oh, I didn't get you anything. That's the funny part about Christmas, right? We can't even, we don't know how to accept a free gift. We don't know how to do it. And the reason, again, it goes back to that Genesis 3, there's these, this, this fracture that has occurred and yet Jesus comes and he says, listen, listen, the gift of salvation is free, you get a free gift this Christmas for eternity. It's Jesus himself. It's, it's perfect peace. It's perfect joy. It's perfect love. Which leads me to my fourth point, that Je- Jesus gives us this joy. Right? Do you, this, this, this is a great, great message of good news, and it should put a smile on your face. As I tell our church every now and then, notify your face that God is good. I know it gets a little cheesy if I keep doing it. It's actually hurting my face to smile this much. But sometimes you have to notify yourself. Right? Isn't there something precious? For those of you who have children, that when they're going to wake you up, at some godforsaken hour, you don't want to be woken up. And they will have the biggest smile on their face. And you'll be doing everything you can to match them, right? Okay. Ooh. What time is it? Go back to bed. We'll do it at 6. You just try to squeeze another half hour out. There's something that should, this idea that it should bring us joy. In fact, Luke 2.10 reads, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The definition of joy that I have before you is buoyancy. Joy is, is one's ability when the waters are are deep below you and the waves are crashing back and forth and and life brings you trouble, joy is the ability to stay afloat and know you're okay because Jesus has you in his hands. You can have joy because you have been forgiven of your sin. Christ forgives you for all of your mistakes, the past ones, the present ones, and the future ones. We don't have the wisdom to live as we ought and yet Jesus still loves us perfectly. So so we can celebrate. We can live our lives. As Martin Luther probably would have said all those years ago that that God no longer is angry with you. I've told our church before and it bears repeating that if you pray and you don't see Jesus smiling, you're praying to the wrong God. In spite of what you thought last night. In spite of what, in spite of what you did yesterday. Your sins have been forgiven there. There is nothing that you have done or ever will do that is bigger than God's grace. His grace supersedes all of your stupidity. Don't be offended because I'm in that boat. Jesus is bigger than my mistakes. How many of you as parents felt like you did a great job once they graduated high school? We got one? <laughs> Any other takers? <laughs> Maybe two? Right? The, 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 the reality is, to some degree, we might say, I, I could have done a better job. I could have got less, less angry. I could have been less frustrated. Do you know that Jesus forgives you for all of the things you didn't do, and he actually imputes righteousness to you? Which me, It's a big word for meaning. He, he, he sees you as if you were a perfect parent. It's a paradigm shift. It's, it's a thinking that, that goes beyond what the world teaches. We should have a joy and a love and a peace that the world doesn't have. It may not be totally perfect because Jesus hasn't come back yet, but the gift of Christ in the manger, the gift this Christmas, is those things which leads me to my last point this evening. This should give you an incredible amount of hope. Hope Hope is defined as an expectation or a belief in the fulfillment of something desired. Several children are here tonight, and they are hoping for a particular gift. And back to that Amazon thing, several of those kids have gone on Amazon and created a wish list, so it's not any surprise to you what they want. My sister did that this year. Go on Amazon. Just tell me what you want. And they're hoping you'll, you'll, They're hoping for that. Do you have a gift tomorrow you're hoping for? What are you hoping for? A trampoline. You don't live here in Truckee, do you? Okay. It's a horrible season for trampolines. Yeah. Snow kills trampolines. I don't mean to crush your dream, but (laughs) you have a hope. It's a beautiful hope. (laughs) Thank you for providing that moment of joy for everybody. <laughs> you see, in that little girl, she, she has a hope. And the Bible teaches that mankind has an inner hope. One way of saying it is this, uh, if I can find the, uh, C.S. Lewis has this great line. He says, little ducks want to swim, and lo and behold, there's water. Human beings get hungry, and lo and behold, there's such thing as food. If you find in yourself a desire and a longing for a joy that nothing on earth can satisfy, maybe you weren't built just for earth. Maybe you were built for something bigger than earth. Maybe you were built for something bigger than this life. You see, until you find what that bigger is, and until you actually put your hope in heaven, and your hope in Jesus Christ, and your hope in the gospel, you'll never be able to fill up that hole that there is in your heart, and you'll never know joy. Therefore, joy is the essence of the Christian life. Jesus has come to fulfill your deepest hope. And though tomorrow there will be many temporal things that kids will get and it will fulfill the hope, we all know that in the end all that stuff is temporary. And Jesus gives us that which is eternal. Hope in God. One great line from a pastor says, Hoping in God does not come natural for sinners. We must preach it to ourselves and preach it diligently and forcefully, or we'll give way to a downcast and disquieted spirit. Indeed, the best sermon you may preach to yourself this week may be only three words long, hope in God. Or as William Carey said, expect great things from God. And this Christmas, may we shed aside that which we know is temporary. And with our children and our families, would we celebrate the goodness of Jesus. We're going to close in a song. And in that song, we're going to sing Silent Night, and I'm going to light a candle. And, and my usher's going to come forward at this time, and they're going to pass that candle to you. And it's a picture. In a way, it's, it's kind of a metaphor. Right? We mentioned in the beginning of the message that there was this tree and the tree fractured that which was with mankind. But in the New Testament, the wording and the language that's used for cross is very similar to a tree. That Jesus died on a cross. We're actually told that Jesus is the light of the world. As so we pass around the candles, right? Jesus is the light of the world. And the light of the world hung on a cross for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. The reason we hang lights on a tree is to remind us of the gospel that Jesus is the light of the world who died on a tree on our behalf, that we would be reconciled to the Lord. It's another picture as well. Not only are you reconciled, but it's, it's the goodness of Jesus that, that the light goes out, that the gospel goes out. Jesus, the light of the world, came. He gave that good news of the gospel, that the light has come and and he shared it with certain individuals and said, share that good news and the news spreads so that the light shines in the darkness even brighter than it would have. And my encouragement to you this night would be that that as you hold that light in your hand and you sing, you would recognize that God, if you're a Christian, lives within you and if if you're someone who's skeptical and you haven't given your life completely over to Christ, that you would see in your hand that the offer of the light of the world is extended to you, that you would receive that life and have perfect peace, perfect love, perfect joy, and to finally have hope that extends beyond this life. Amen. Amen. At this time, for those of you, we express some caution. Um, though it would be cool to build a new church, we'd rather not. Yeah, go ahead.